Hello, it's great to have your company here on Search for Truth, your Bible teaching programme with Brian Johnston, and I'm delighted that you could join us. Today Brian brings us uh, talk number four in this series about grandparents and some of the lessons these Bible characters can teach us. And our talk today is called The Grandson Who Wasn't Judged for Who His Grandfather Was. So let's find out who these two were with Brian. Okay, John, but first a little intro. LaGuardia, mayor of New York City during the worst days of the Great Depression and all of World War II, was called the Little Flower by adoring New Yorkers because he was only five foot four and he always wore a carnation in his lapel. A colourful character he certainly was. And on one cold night in January of 1935, he turned up unannounced at a night court session that served the poorest ward of the city, and he dismissed the judge for the evening and took over the bench himself. Within a few minutes, a tattered old woman was brought before him, charged with stealing a loaf of bread. She told Lagardia that her daughter's husband had deserted her. Her daughter was sick and her two grandchildren were starving. But the shopkeeper, from whom the bread was stolen, refused to drop the charges. It's a real bad neighbourhood, Your Honour, the man told the mayor. She's got to be punished to teach other people around here a lesson. Lagardia sighed. He turned to the woman and said, I've got to punish you. The law makes no exceptions. Ten dollars or ten days in jail. But even as he pronounced sentence, the mayor was already reaching into his pocket. He extracted a bill and tossed it into his famous sombrero, saying, Here is the ten-dollar fine, which I now remit. And furthermore, I'm going to fine everyone in this courtroom fifty cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so that her grandchildren can eat. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to the defendant. So the following day, the New York City newspapers reported that $47.50 was turned over to a bewildered old lady who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren, 50 cents of that amount being contributed by the red-faced grocery store owner, while some 70 petty criminals, people with traffic violations, and New York City policemen, each of whom had just paid 50 cents for the privilege of doing so, gave the mayor a standing ovation. Our grandparent story today is a story about that kind of grace. Mephibosheth was someone who'd known a life of hardship and suffering. When only five years old, he'd received word that he'd lost both father and grandfather in a single fateful day. Not only that, but he'd every reason to believe that he was the new king's enemy and the next one to be killed. You see, his grandfather, Saul, had been the previous king, and often the practice then in the Middle East was that the new heir to the throne would take the entire family of the displaced king and have them put to death to eliminate the possibility of any future opposition and rebellion. And remember, Mephibosheth was a grandson of the previous king, so it's entirely possible that he lived in fear, dreading the day a knock would come to his door. He'd previously seen his grandfather go practically insane, losing control both of himself and of his kingdom. Following the news he'd received on that fateful day we mentioned a moment ago, he'd no father to guide him and no grandfather to shower him with love and affection. But there's more to his story 
and more pain, I'm afraid. Imagine the pain of remembering being in the arms of someone you specially trusted and running for your life. Such had been Mephibosheth, fleeing with his nurse, when they'd brought the news of the death of his father and grandfather. Then, on the rocky hill paths, the nurse had slipped and dropped him. He'd come crashing down on his feet, and severe pain overwhelmed him in an instant. I guess both his feet were broken, but there was no time to get him to a doctor or anyone who might have been able to set the bones correctly. They had to think about survival, so the nurse picked him up and continued to carry him. As a result, the bones never mended correctly. He was left crippled, living in obscurity and poverty in a remote and barren corner of the kingdom. Mephibosheth may also have lived with increasing fear for his own life, because David was getting stronger as king. On the other hand, Mephibosheth's family was getting weaker. Any day he might receive that knock on the door and be taken away to be executed or tortured. His uncle, Ishbosheth, was killed, and Mephibosheth might have wondered, will I be next? Then one day it happened. There came that knock on the door that he dreaded, he was summoned to appear before King David. Mephibosheth knew nothing of David's intent, so he could only expect the worst. All that he knew was a servant, Ziba, who knew where he was, had come and told him he was to be taken to the king's palace. Well, I guess he hobbled into the throne room of the powerful king. I'm not sure he'd have known that David the king had been a great friend of his father Jonathan. In which case, when he appeared before David, he could have been forgiven for thinking, I'm going to be killed because Saul was my grandfather, the very man who'd insanely tried to kill this present king. Mephibosheth fell on his face and he heard the king speak his name, Mephibosheth. We might wonder if David saw any resemblance of his friend Jonathan on his son Mephibosheth's face. The same look in his eyes, perhaps. The same expressive face. Perhaps some of the same mannerisms. Don't be afraid, David said to him, since I intend to show you kindness because of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all your grandfather Saul's fields and you will always eat meals at my table. This was unbelievable grace. How did Mephibosheth respond? He said, What is your servant? that you should notice a dead dog like me. Could it be that that way of referring to himself echoed the disdain that he'd become accustomed to? After all, he was crippled, an outcast, a dead dog. But David never used those terms. Far from it. Words have a way of changing us, don't they? I once heard about an employer in the United States back in the days when black Americans were segregated. This man refused to stay in a motel because they wouldn't allow his black assistant to lodge with him. Instead, they both slept in the boss's van in the parking lot. The boss had told the motel manager that his black employee was like family to him. Later, that same employee would testify that that description as family changed his life because his white boss had said he was like family to him. David's words changed Mephibosheth's life too. Words have a powerful way of bringing healing and restoration. A kind word can restore one's dignity, setting one on an esteemed path. The kindness he received from the king was overwhelming. 
David's love for him because of the faithfulness and loyalty of his father Jonathan was an unexpected, unanticipated joy. He was still lame, of course, but no longer with a questionable future. Now he was sitting at the king's table as one of his own sons. David's words were not just a token gesture. They were extravagant, symbolic of his love for Jonathan. His words were an act of grace, a reflection of God's own love for David himself. His was a demonstration of love toward a man who did not deserve it and could never earn it and would never be able to repay it. David, the strong and famous king, reached out to Mephibosheth, the cripple and outcast, and expressed kindness to him such as he'd never known before. To eat at the king's table was not a temporary honour. It was like drawing a pension from the king for the rest of his life. David's kindness would continue throughout Mephibosheth's life. The dead dog knew the wonderful feeling of acceptance, the joy of being drawn into a family, the warmth of love, the contentment that comes when someone cares. Do we tend to stay away from the Mephibosheths of the world, the crippled, the handicapped and the marginalised, avoiding the Down syndrome boy because of embarrassment? All people matter to God. David restored Mephibosheth from a place in the wilderness to a place at his table, from a place of barrenness to a place of honour, from a place of no pasture to a place of plenty. When David had originally asked, Is there anyone left of Saul's family that I can show the kindness of God to? The word for kindness is the biblical word hesed. It means loving kindness. God had demonstrated grace and kindness to David in so many ways. His life had been spared on numerous occasions. Now David wanted to reciprocate that kindness. Those who have been touched by the grace of God surely want to pass it on. What David did for Mephibosheth, God does for us. Just as the king brought the outcast into the palace and made him a son, God adopts us into his family. Let's enjoy that thought as it's expressed in the opening verses of the letter to Ephesians, as we conclude today. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us.
I do hope you've experienced the wonderful love and grace of God that he has lavished upon us, as Brian has just read to us at the end of his talk from Ephesians and chapter 1. I remind you once more as well that we have a free transcript book for this series. It's available to you by asking for the title Grandparents, and you can order by email or by post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wotton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. And you might be interested to know that many titles of Search for Truth transcript booklets have been turned into e-books and are available at amazon.co.uk forward slash kindle hyphen e-books. Just type Search for Truth series into the search box and then you'll find them. We've almost come to the end of today's broadcast. Next week we'll be learning from yet another biblical grandparent. So I hope you'll be able to join us again. Until next time, it's very best wishes from... Uh, Bible teacher Brian, studio technician David, our singers and me, John. So, bye for now and may God richly bless you. Now.